pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 240. Today I'm going to chat with Gabriella Hoffman, discuss the ATF revoking a company's FFL, highlight a new 22 for Maximum Defense, and talk about why a new edible can't be sold in Colorado. I'm your host, Ava Flanell. Gabriella, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Ava. Good to talk to you. It's nice to talk to you. What state are you recording from? I'm in the Commonwealth of Virginia. That's right. That's right. Okay, before we get into it, Smith & Wesson. So I have really great news. So Smith & Wesson, they have the Shield Plus that came out, and this came out a little while ago. And then at SHOT Show, they unveiled a Shield Plus chambered in the new Round 30 supercarrier that Federal came out with. Well, they actually went back to the drawing board. They looked at the magazines. At first, it was only able to hold two extra rounds. But then the engineers kind of like refined the magazine and it'll now hold three to four extra rounds. So the Shield Plus, which is pretty small, it's still considered a micro pistol, micro compact pistol. It now the one that's a little bit extended holds 16 plus rounds or 17, depending I guess they said you can fit 17 if you try hard enough. I don't really know what that means, but but I mean, we're talking about so 17 plus one, 16 plus one. Either way, a gun for that size is pretty phenomenal. I would definitely recommend looking into that. And then as more guns start coming out, it just really depends on how the magazine's engineered and how many rounds of that 30 super carry it'll hold. But I think 30 super carry is definitely a game changer. It's taken a little while to hit shelves, but I think once it does, I think everyone's going to be pretty happy with it. If you want to check out the new Shield Plus Chambered in 30 Super Carry, head on over to smith-wesson.com. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. Gabriella, so you're very much like me. You have a lot going on. You don't put all your eggs in one basket, which is appreciated. Before we get into everything that you're doing right now, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this industry? I would say it was partly accident and maybe a godsend too. I've always had an interest in firearms. Mm-hmm. And before I did anything relating to hunting and conservation, a lot of my original reporting work or writing work was in the firearms industry and kind of how it's misunderstood. And I first picked up a gun, goodness, I think it was the winter of 2010. I was going into my second year of college. We went kind of off-roading in the San Bernardino mountains in California to some public land and did some shooting, all safely done, no problem there. And then I learned how to operate a handgun and a shotgun at that time. It was intimidating mm-hmm. at first, but it was a lot of fun. And then I started to do more experiences. And in California, for me, I feel like it was kind of taboo mm-hmm. to do anything gun related, even in Southern California, Orange County, where I grew up. But as I moved to the East Coast, I noticed it was a little more acceptable. It was a lot more readily available in the Commonwealth of Virginia, where I've lived for about a decade. There's a pretty good gun culture here with the military installations we have all the different bases a huge military culture so i think 
that helps insulate the region from anti-gun attitudes, right? even with our proximity to Washington, D.C., and just befriending people and then getting plugged into things and going to my first SHOT Show officially as a blogger and a journalist in 2015, I think really catapulted me in this writing space where I would start to focus on legislation, interesting trends. I started writing more for different newspapers locally, got a lot of op-eds printed here in Virginia, which is really great because we had a lot of buoyancy with legislation of enacting pro-gun legislation, then taking away gun rights. And then now I think we're going to be on the cusp of restoring a lot of gun rights that were taken away from us under the last eight years of two different governors we had that were very anti-gun. And so I just wanted to follow the trends. I was kind of cataloging my own journey as a new gun owner myself, someone who's kind of ambivalent, but recognize the importance of it. I'm a petite woman. If you get to know me and meet me in person, a lot of people are very astonished that I'm kind of sure I'm like five, three, five, four, and I'm petite. So it makes sense that I want to defend myself. Also from kind of a historical perspective, people say, well, what's really the interest behind your fascination with firearms? And I tell people, I look to my family history. My family fled the Soviet Union about 36 years ago. I was born in the United States, the first in my family to be born here, which is a huge honor. And I wear that with a badge of honor very proudly. Mm -hmm. And I remember just hearing about my family members essentially being disarmed. One of the first steps that a lot of these people did to take over and kind of usurp power and control and, and dictate different affairs to different people, especially in the Eastern Bloc in Lithuania, modern day Lithuania, which is actually experiencing a huge gun firearm resurgence now with the threat of Russian invasion in Ukraine possibly creeping into their country too. But Lithuanians have endured dual occupation from the Nazis and the Soviets and much of that under the Soviet era. And so they came into the country, said the first thing we're going to do is take away your farms, much like any society where residents were defenseless. And I just heard stories about my relatives not having farms to defend themselves, kind of historically, what that meant and how the crime was a lot higher in the Eastern Bloc, much like in any other occupied country compared to the United States, where there was a flourishing gun culture, flourishing uh, reverence for rights and how gun crime is a lot actually lower in the United States compared to societies where there was no law-abiding practice of gun ownership. And so for me, from my personal interest to even the historical relevance of safeguarding Second Amendment rights, that kind of factored into my interest in covering this. And then also not only covering legislation, but also human interest stories of individuals who are making their mark in shooting sports, whether it's from the legislative side, from a business perspective, nonprofits, anything that I think is compelling and interesting. So it's been an interesting journey for the last decade, and I'm kind of in a small category of journalists who covers the firearms issues from a very fair perspective. And I'm hoping with others who are like me, we're trying to educate our peers in journalism and more mainstream outlets to not make mistakes, to not mischaracterize firearm parts and firearms, to learn about the different legislation and what abounds there. So it's it's a really incredible position to be in. And I write regularly, even to this day, about the issue, um, but kind of spread out my focus a little bit more, but still try to get guns in as much as possible. But it's it's a unique topic to cover. It's really exciting, actually, that more and more people are buying firearms, even traditional and non-traditional, especially gun owners. So that's really important to catalog and really fascinating to catalog. And I know I'm one of a handful of 
several journalists and writers who was doing that. So whatever I can do to shine a light on that, I do. Wow. How fascinating. You're doing an amazing job. One thing that stuck out with me, so you have family roots going back to Lithuania, and that's actually my mom's family is from Lithuania. And I rarely meet people that have family history to Lithuania. Have you ever been? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. Have you ever been able to travel there? I went once. Yes. As a little girl and I wanted to go before COVID and then COVID came and shut down everything. Hopefully when things calm down a little bit after some time, I I hope to visit maybe next year uh, if the situation improves in kind of the Eastern area, but I had no idea. That's very fascinating that you also share Lithuanian heritage. I know I I automatically, like I got really excited, but I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was like, you know, because it's, it is kind of interesting that you don't really meet too many people that have a Lithuanian background. No, we're only like even full or partial heritage. There's only like a million Americans who can claim Lithuanian heritage. So we're kind of in a unique camp. Interesting. I didn't know that. Huh. Okay. And then also, so your main work is also a media um, strategist, consultant, author, all that good stuff. Yes. Yeah. I'm kind of like you. I'm a Jill of all trades. Yeah. I don't like to be stuck in one position. So the beauty of being a freelancer working in multimedia, writing, consulting, is I can pick and choose who to work with. And I get to work with people who have exciting projects with different roles that I hold with different clients. I'm essentially taking on unique projects that kind of transform over time. They're not really stagnant, which I really like. And if I ever feel restless and kind of bored with a certain thing, I'll say like, well, we had a good run. I'm going to move on to different projects. So that was kind of my early foray into freelancing where I was like, okay, good. This project ended, not bad people, but I kind of was bored or uninspired. Yeah. absolutely. And now my, yeah, now my clients, like I've been able to work with several people for three, two years. Some clients I have, I've been working close to almost four years. And so the projects have changed and kind of transformed and they're now consistent, but it's more exciting where I get to like produce content. I have a video series with one client where I talk about conservation and kind of different undertold stories. I have some clients where I do some legislation and some copywriting work with, and also kind of in my freelancing work, I include two fellowships that I have as well. In addition to my regular clients where I kind of work on a short-term basis, although my contracts with them have been extended, which has been really fun to be able to even work beyond kind of my original work scope with them. But I do a lot of like policy papers, blog posts, I'm going to be undertaking some kind of recruitment and mentorship roles with one of my fellowships that just became more long-term. Mm-hmm. So I kind of get to do like fun stuff too and and help bring in other people to learn about different issues, even including Second Amendment coverage as well. So it's kind of fun to to be doing what I'm doing. I didn't just come here overnight. It's been five, six years in the making, <laughs> to be honest. And it has a lot of rewards and it's always had its good days and some bad days, but I wouldn't trade anything for this. And that's how I'm able to travel to SHOT Show, go to different trade shows, travel across the country, take on different projects. So it's something I like and I'm able to control. And it has a lot of fruits to it. There's a lot of benefits and I wouldn't trade it for anything else because when COVID rolled around, I was like, I'm already prepared to work from home. I can do remote work. So I'm really well positioned to be able to still thrive. I mean, my business still kind of suffered because people were like, ah, eh, we may have to cut you back a little bit. They think, thankfully have since restored work to kind of their original scope. So like anyone else, you know, we all faced a lot of difficulties, but I was 
largely not so affected, but I still had a little bit of kind of a negative impact to my business, but it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, and I'm starting to see more freelancers too, kind of come from the gun space. I think people also don't know that influencers, you know, however good or bad that term is, um, the really, really authentic and good effective ones to me, they're working under a freelancer framework too. So they're self-employed. They have to deal with different contracts and different clientele. So it's not an uncommon thing to see people kind of set their own schedule to travel, to do appearances, to do different things if they're effective at it. But we do see kind of a cross between freelancers and those who work traditional nine to five jobs. And I wonder if the industry will ever endeavor itself to kind of create more flexible work arrangements. We may see that Mm -hmm. hopefully down the road. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a cool position to be in. And I've been trying to mentor people to go into this direction too, regardless of industry. I've had a lot of friends say, I see you doing that. What's your secret? And I tell them like, these are like the different steps you have to take. Your journey will be probably very different from mine. But if you put your mind to things, you're passionate, you build up a good clientele list, you could take your business to full heights. So that's something I try to impart on others too, in the industry and outside the industry as well. But it's a it's a good position to be, and I don't take it lightly. I have a you know responsibility to present myself well and to present ideas well, and not to make mistakes and to be fair and impartial, even with my own different political views. I try to not be so alienating and so caustic and and hostile, even to people I disagree with. I try to invite them to learn about my issues, yeah. Even if they disagree, not everyone's going to be obviously on board with everything. You're always going to encounter that, but I think it's you know you have to kind of be aware of what you potentially could do to leave a mark, good or bad. Mm -hmm. You have to be aware of kind of what you say. Sometimes you have to unfortunately kind of take in some self-censorship, which I don't like doing, but I've realized I can't focus on every single issue as as much as I'd like to. And that's okay to do that because there are plenty of others now who could take and fill in the void to do that. But yeah, to be kind of in this position, it's a lot of fun and I get to set my own schedule and I can make work trips far more enjoyable than I used to. Although I used to travel for work when I was working a traditional nonprofit job, but it's, it's a lot more fun when you can set your schedule. So I definitely recommend it if you are able to do it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I wonder if COVID sort of created a lot of people to become their own boss. Like they were like, you know what? Mm -hmm. And then also, especially like working from home and then not only were they able to handle their job, but they were able to like multitask and do other things. And it's also been interesting to see how a lot of these companies, they've made the decision for people not to return back to the office, that they are going to be working from home. I don't know. I just think it's like really interesting to see how it's sort of sprung that like huge change. And then as a result, we look at places that, I mean, look how many places now are hiring, trying to find Mm -hmm. people that are going to work that nine to five job. You also do a lot of social media management. So do you, tell me a little bit about that, because that's actually something else that I do is I do a lot of marketing for firearms companies and I run their social media platforms. Is that something that you do when you say social media management or is it beyond that? It used to be a big chunk of my client portfolio, but I've actually largely moved away from it except for some smaller nonprofits that I work with. Mm-hmm. And I think my time and resources are now better used when I'm not doing that, but I do know how to create social media graphics because I do a lot for my podcast, sometimes for speaking engagements and then for YouTube 
which I kind of experiment with. I'm not really getting paid to create my own YouTube, but I've been able to grow it a little bit handsomely in the last year or so. So I've learned to use social media kind of marketing skills, even for my own personal brand, or if I'm posting interviews that I do for different websites I write for, or just off the cuff, kind of wanting to get to know different individuals and their interest areas. And then when I do a lot of like outdoor content, I'm using YouTube and I've had some pretty good success with it organically. Sometimes videos don't take off and that's okay. That's just the nature of things on YouTube. But I think I use social media marketing skills that I learned more so for kind of these personal side projects Mm -hmm. whenever I can, Um, a little bit for clientele, but not as much as I used to, because I think my clients realize we can't just have you posting on social media all day. We think your skill set is better applied for doing this, editing this, or perhaps meeting people on Capitol Hill, doing different things. I've done a lot of different tasks. I even done like event planning too, in addition to like writing press releases, pitching clients for different media outlets. I would say it's pretty easy to pitch people if you have the right connections. The hardest place to pitch people is TV because TV is so consumed by the 24-7 news cycle. And even if you have contacts within different channels and different TV stations, it's a little hard to get their attention because they're always wanting to be on the cusp of like, what is happening here? What's trending here? So it's really hard for them to deviate. But social media, you can even make news on. I always tell people what you put out on social media, you never know for better or worse, can make an impact and maybe shape the way a conversation is taking place on an important issue. So I tell people like, you can even have have an impact that way as well. But social media, no, not as much as when I first started out. And maybe that's for the better because I do like spending my time more going to the field to film different kind of mini documentary subjects, meeting with people, going to different events and conferences. I've been doing a lot of speaking this past semester. I think even more than I typically do, it's been a lot of fun, even with some kind of schedule delays and things that sort. But I've been able to go to some really cool places in the last, I would say since November, I've been really traveling for speaking on different college campuses. I went to Michigan's Upper Peninsula recently and it was my most well-attended event. And it was amazing just to get a hundred some odd different people who really don't know you, but are really interested after the fact and had some very positive feedback on kind of my remarks that I said there, but students and community members in this town, way, way, way up North in a college town. So that was really cool. And I like doing that. So like where I could be with people to hear their concerns and kind of advance the interests of my clients, that's where I feel like I get a lot of enjoyment, even more than social media clout. But it's a very valuable skill to have. And I commend you for doing it. I haven't been able to work with some of the bigger brands. I've been in talks with different companies over the years and and brands, but they usually go with someone else who can do things full-time, unfortunately. I'm going to take a quick break real quick, talk about primary arms. Primary Arms has a ton of stuff on sale right now. Definitely check it out. All kinds of stuff, including the CMMG 22LR AR15 conversion kits for $179.99, which is an awesome way to train on your same AR with a more you know affordable ammo. The BCM MLOC handguards for $169.99. Trijicon MROs for $399. Ultra lightweight armor plates for just $299. Even barrels for only $95.99. 
If you want to check all that stuff out, head over to primaryarms.com. Don't forget, if you find an optic that you like and it's Primary Arms, use the code AVA, A-V-A, and you'll get a free one-piece scope mount with every Primary Arms optic that you buy. And even if you don't buy an optic, use the code AVA anyways, and I think I still get credit and I would greatly appreciate it. Let's go back to the speaking and training that you mentioned. As far as speaking, usually what are the topics that you speak about? Yes. So I have been doing a tour called Conservation is Conservative, and it's kind of built as this environmental discussion and lecture. So we hear a lot about environmentalism, and it kind of relates to energy policy and land use. There's actually even a connection to guns and ammunition that most people don't know. So I kind of insert that into the conversation, too. There's a piece of legislation called the Pittman-Robertson Act, which makes it so excise taxes collected on guns and ammunition go to fund habitat restoration efforts, wildlife conservation efforts, and hunting education, hunters education courses more specifically. And that was done kind of as a check by hunters and anglers. And there's an angling component called the Dingle Johnson Amendment. It's a separate piece of legislation, but it's also very complimentary. And so kind of the monies that you're spending on equipment, licenses, gear, archery, rifles, pistols, everything, a portion of that is taken And they distribute it to the different wildlife agencies so you can enjoy fishing opportunity stockings. You can enjoy kind of a enhancement of different species. I know those monies here in Virginia go to restoring our elk population. We have the first elk hunt ever of our kind in an official capacity happening this fall. So I know those monies are going to good places when most of the time government is not really a good steward of dollars or taxes. Mm -hmm. This is probably in one of the few instances where they're actually using fees responsibly and I'll give them credit there. (laughs) But I explained how guns and ammunition and how kind of diminishing those funds and, and diminishing sales even can really hurt conservation efforts. So anyone listening and you want another really interesting argument to say, here's why gun control is bad. You can point them to this example that I'm citing here on the podcast, that if you discourage the sale, legal sale of guns and ammunition, you're ultimately hurting conservation because the majority of money that goes to conservation comes from guns and ammo and then those other kind of secondary sources that I cited. So that's a kind of fun fact what I like to insert in my conversation. And then I talk about different energy policies, land use, what true conservation is versus kind of this preservation that we're seeing kind of embraced by governments and different environmental organizations and how you can kind of be a positive change maker. I don't just complain about what's bad. I talk about what are good alternatives and ways you can advance and kind of tell your story. So I always leave audiences with a call to action or give them resources. So I'm not just angrily chiming in on what I'm displeased with. I, I like to say, well, you can come away from the bad policies and kind of the bad actions with your own version, something more positive where you can actually change your community, change your state, and ultimately maybe change the course of kind of federal legislation too. So that's something I've been speaking to students on, and it's been really positively received. I keep getting requests to speak and I have to turn them down for the rest of the semester and, and tell them like, let's let's move it to the fall where I'll be a little more free, have a little more clear headedness and be able to come to campus. And then some people will have me speak virtually on that. I'm also talking about Uh, kind of where the second amendment is. I have a talk actually, probably this episode will come a little later from my talk, but I'm speaking in Columbus, Ohio, this upcoming weekend in the area there at this second amendment conference hosted by students from Ohio State University. And they want me to kind of talk about 
where the trends are with gun ownership, what legislation is currently afoot. And I had to amend my lecture today, funny enough, because Georgia, Ohio, even, and I think it was Alabama, those three, Georgia should soon make it official into law. Mm -hmm. But uh, those states will now make it so there are 25 states with constitutional carry. Yeah. More than we've ever seen. There's been a movement to pass this legislation for permitless carry, and it's taking the country by storm. It's not really a fringe opinion anymore, mm-hmm. as some people like to say it is. So I'll talk about that as well. And I think some students are going to have me maybe in the future talk about my family's history in Lithuania and, and socialism and how to combat it effectively. So I think there are opportunities like that coming. And I'll be doing some conferences talking a little related to kind of the wheelhouse of issues that I focus on. I'm going to Lincoln, Nebraska at the end of April to talk about this big issue actually that concerns a lot of people in much of the mountain West. It's called 30 by 30. It's like this proposal to conserve 30% of waters and lands by 2030 catches, unfortunately, that the government could use this as an opportunity to establish permanent like conservation easements, which are great, but if they're weaponized to be permanent, it can really infringe on private property rights. And I have to study a little bit more on that, but the proposal ignores the fact also that the U.S. already conserves over 30% of waters and lands, according to government statistics. So we're having this conference hosted by an organization to talk about this, and I'm going to talk about the media angle and how you can get those facts across and voice your opposition in a very intelligible way. So that's going to be in Lincoln, Nebraska, which will be really exciting to talk about lands use there. And then in the summer, I'm going to Las Vegas to a libertarian-themed conference to probably talk about energy and environment. They haven't given us the topics yet, but I'm assuming it's going to be related to that. So I'll talk about kind of what I've been discussing and branch off more into energy and what policies are good and what policies are bad. So people will have me speak on a multitude of issues, and that's kind of a summation of it. And when did you start speaking and how did you get to the point where you are now? Because, you know, you hear public speaking and majority of people, if they were asked to do any sort of public speaking, they're just like, ah, you know, they freeze and they don't want to do it. It takes some conditioning because everyone is like, you're so chatty and you're so comfortable speaking. How did you learn how to do this and not say filler words like, um, and, uh, yeah. and it's something I've had to coach myself on with some training and then just some practice, but it's, it, it takes time honest to goodness, like I'm, I would say an effective communicator, I guess. And I've had to coach myself to, to learn about speech writing, to create lectures and to get comfortable speaking before an audience. I think I used to be very terrified of the prospect of speaking before people because you're like, are they going to boo you? Are they going to scream at you? Are they going to chastise you? Yeah. And I think most people are really respectful unless you're saying something really asinine that is kind of off the charts, yeah. <laughs> crazy, but most people will be like, okay, we'll let them say their piece and we're not going to ostracize them or demean them while they're speaking. And it just takes practice and starting off small, you know, talking before few people, it could be just a basic conversation over coffee and you're meeting with friends and you're talking about a subject that really sparks your interest in public policy or gun advocacy or whatever. And then I think because of my previous job where I was able to go to different student groups, I didn't really have to be polished or super refined when I would speak before different student organizations when I used to travel to the Northeast a lot with my nonprofit job, but it kind of prepared me to go before audiences. I did a few conferences where I spoke before a few hundred people 
And while it was a little intimidating, I was just like pretending like I'm talking with close friends Mm -hmm. and you kind of condition yourself to the point where you don't, I don't think an effective strategy, a lot of people say, just envision the audience be naked. I I don't think that's effective. I know people have said like, think of something funny or bizarre like that and you'll be comfortable speaking. I don't envision people like that because I think that'd be really weird and awkward. Yeah. But I think you can envision like you're having a conversation and then you can move to different positions. You can angle your eyes to like different spots of the audience and not always focus on one area or kind of blurt your eyes up and kind of seem like you're avoiding conversation or avoiding communicating a point. But I just kind of pick and choose areas where I look to and I speak with a smile and I try to be comfortable and I try to speak slower if I need to. So I don't talk too fast or too loud or something. And it's just something you develop when you do more and more speaking. And I had to do a few trainings. There was several opportunities and I've done a few trainings actually with the same individual. And she's really great. Uh, There's a group called district media group, and she does a lot of training. Beverly Hallberg, the founder, someone I've known for a decade one of the best and most highly sought after communications professionals in the country. Actually, she trains lawmakers. She's not just beholden to doing DC work. She's out of South Carolina, but she trains people all across the country. And I took a training with her and I've done some more training with her recently through my fellowships and her and her media company give really fabulous advice on how to speak before an audience. And I think it's just a learned habit the more practice you do and you can speak before your mirror, you could speak before your friends, you can prepare remarks, you can do speeches off the cuff. There's really no way to speak before an audience. Like I do a presentation where I'm looking at my slides and then I'll try to relay that information and kind of truncate it and expand on it. Or I could have a presentation of slides or even kind of prepared remarks before me. And I learn how to look at my words and then look at the audience and kind of vary it up as well. So many ways to go about it. It's not difficult. Definitely taking a course on public speaking. I forget what the organization is called. There's something in politics, but it's transferable to any industry. I think it's called TOPS. I don't remember the name exactly, but it was like a public speaking group and it teaches you how to kind of get out of your comfort zone and learn how to articulate things well and more comfortably in that. So it's a a learned skill, but it's not impossible to master. So that's kind of a takeaway for your listeners that I want to share. Interesting. So you know what I do in order to prepare myself for public What's your strategy? I usually just take a few shots and then I look myself in the (laughs) mirror and I'm like, you're a badass bitch and you got this. (laughs) (laughs) That's works too. I mean, it works sometimes and I mean, not a hundred percent. So I don't recommend it completely, but you know, if all else fails, I would say, all right, it's better than nothing. Let's talk Absolutely. about let's talk about POMA that's coming up. That's taking place in Montana in June. What does that entail? Yes, yeah, so we have you coming on board to join me on a podcasting panel that I've started to assemble and I really appreciate you lending your your voice and your perspective for that. I think it's going to be really fun. So POMA stands for the Professional Outdoor Media Association. It's been around for 15 plus years. It's a great versatile group of people. You have people from TV, radio, writing, podcasting, and even social media work, influencers to good influencers, because I know we have to make the distinction sometimes with that, but really effective influencers too. So we cater to any outdoor creator and communicator who wants to put in the work, who has a portfolio, or who is just beginning their career. So we work with people who are beginners 
mid-level career professionals and experts. And we kind of come together with this yearly conference, our business conference we annually do, and we host some events even outside of the conference. We have meetups usually at SHOT Show. We host and sponsor some regional events. And I think we had the shooting sports showcase in Alabama that we were a sponsor of as well. I wasn't able to attend that because I had too many things going on then. But POMO is kind of like a vehicle to help people propel and kind of plan for their next step in their outdoor communicator career. Because it's really hard if you're wanting to write for major publications or maybe create film or Mm -hmm. create podcast or content to meet the who's who in the industry and kind of break out. And so POMA kind of fills the void with connecting members to industry newsmakers and industry players. And with the instance of the conference, you're able to meet with someone from Toyota or maybe Smith and Wesson or some other big conglomerate. Like we have a lot of people, we have some personalities from some of the outdoor programming channels come some well-known people, people who are up and coming, people who are recognizable through social media. So traditional and non-traditional media, we have a lot of representation there. And personally speaking, why I loved getting involved with it and why I really am honored to serve on their board of directors, I was elected to the position last year, is because it really helped me kind of take off my career. When I first joined them, I was really fortunate that I was able to, we have a awards kind of program we do every year. It's called the Pinnacle Awards. And my first year, I was like, I'm going to try and see if the submission I have for this publication, Sporting Classics, if it maybe would capture the interests of the judges. And so I submitted this piece on grizzly bear conservation. And I find out later that I'm in the running as a finalist. And I don't know if I'm going to be an alternate or the main winner. Wow. And then when the award ceremony came, it was 2019 in Wichita, Kansas. I find out that I am the top conservation prize winner for my original reporting work. So that was really cool. It just blew me away, you know, to be able to win even as a new member, I was an associate media member at the time before I became a voting member. And just the fact that they recognized my work, even as a newbie, really stood out to me and really kind of solidified my positive view of them. And so everyone could have a little different experience with them in terms of how long and how quickly it takes to really benefit from membership. But for me, it really benefited early on. And I've grown to love the people I work with on the board and I really love the members that we have. They become close friends. It's just like anything, you know, kind of the extension of the firearms industry, but a little more intimate with an organization like this. So it's really something that wants to cater to the next generation of outdoor communicators, whether you're in firearms industry, hunting, fishing, shooting sports, camping, hiking, whatever fits under the umbrella of the greater outdoor industry. And like I said, firearms and ammunition industry. And kind of just serve as a a space for you to meet people, to get some work. We've had a lot of people who across the years who've been able to land really fascinating and awesome jobs within the industry with gun manufacturers, with nonprofit organizations, with Toyota, with all these different places. I can't list specifically all the different jobs that have been offered, but a lot of industry jobs that are really sought after, a lot of people can successfully kind of navigate the application process and get hired through the help of POMA and through your membership in POMA. And POMA, if you have membership in it, largely we are able to get into most, let's say, trade shows or fishing shows or firearms trade shows, whatever. 
with the membership. You're able to use your membership to get waived credentials for the most part and really experience a show. You can cover a show and they'll treat you very seriously and you can kind of cover events to your heart's desire. So that's really a great benefit and perk with POMA. And we have business conferences all over the country. Like you mentioned, we're going to Kalispell this year. It's a beautiful region of Montana, kind of a little off the beaten path away from like Bozeman or some of the more sought after places, but it's beautiful. It's really close to Glacier National Park and kind of close to the Canadian border in a sense (laughs) from what I've seen on the maps. And we have a lot of great events planned for it. We have a lot of great speakers, obviously the panel that you'll be on with me and some of the other people in our membership and some guest speakers that we have talking about the subject. We have some keynote speakers. We're going to do, I think, something relating to the local rodeo. Uh, there's a shooting day. So you get to test new products. You get to fire guns and meet a lot of great people. So it's a really fun gathering. And it's a great organization to be a part of because even though you are investing in it, you're getting a return on your investment within an immediate entry into the organization or within a few years time. It always takes some time sometimes for you to really see the benefits of things. But like I said, personally speaking, I've seen the benefits really immediately. And I know anyone who's looking to go into this plunge into this full-time as a communicator, whether you're in video, podcasting, social media work, this really is the great organization that will welcome you and not really chide you for your beliefs and believing in the second amendment compared to some other, let's say competitors in the outdoor industry. And they're great organizations too, but we're really, I think, the most pro-Second Amendment group out there in terms of a national organization. Very nice. And if people want to attend this, they have to become a member in order to do so, or is it open to the public? I think we have some special rates. I think people who are not members can attend. I have to double check that. I know we've had that option before where members can register guests. Let's Mm -hmm. pull it up right now. Oh, yes, you can as a non-member individual. It's a little more expensive than you would pay if you were a media member. It's not by much. It's like $50 to $100 more. But yes, if you're not a member and you're interested in learning, you can attend as well. Okay, great. And if anybody wants more information on that, the website, what was it? Professionaloutdoormedia.org is the official website. Okay, perfect. All right. I'm taking another quick break talking about IWI. The Uzi Pro from IWI is definitely one of those iconic guns that you must have. It's one of those guns that no collection's complete without, in my opinion. That's why I had to get it. And if you guys have watched any action movies from the 80s and 90s, chances are you've seen it in action. So the new Uzi Pro has modern upgrades like rails for red dots and other accessories. The charging handle, instead of it being on the top, has been moved to the left side. So now it has like a more natural manual of arms so that you can put the optic on it. It also has a mag release near the trigger guard instead of the bottom of the grip. And I also just put out a review on YouTube of the gun as well. So if you want to check that out, head on over to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash Ava Flannel. And that's just one N, not two N's, uh, E-L-L. And if you guys head on over to IWI.us to find out more information about the Uzi or anything else, like any of the other guns that they offer, If you find any accessories that you like, don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY15, and that's going to get you 15% off your entire order of accessories. Moving forward, so you've written columns for some really top 
publications over the years, including Daily Caller, Field and Stream, The Heel, Washington Times. What are your articles usually focusing on? Or is it sort of just the same stuff that we've kind of gone over as far as like what you speak about and stuff like that? Yeah, for the brief time that I wrote for Field and Stream and Outdoor Life, and that was kind of an assignment. So some of my work will vary. It'll be assignment-based for some of these notable publications. And that's really cool too. I did like a listicle for one of them. And then I interviewed a few people for another piece, but those were assigned to me. And I had to contact a lot of people or I had to meet with people. And it was a fun challenge. And I liked that. And I had my byline and in both of those publications, Outdoor Life and Field and Stream. And some other stuff is kind of more determined on like what my interest areas are. So some places I can pitch the subject and I'm in control of my writing scope. And there's some overlap with what I've talked about, but Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm able to write a little bit beyond these issues. So I'm able to write, let's say about areas that I focus on even beyond energy conservation and second amendment. I'm really big on advocating for the rights of freelancers because there's legislative attempts to make it impossible to do it, to identify as it as one by the IRS or by some other framework. And so I'm really passionate about extolling the virtues of freelancing and making sure that freelancers can still work as they do and file 1099 versus W-2 forms, (laughs) something as simple as that. So there are a lot of things that kind of pique my interest. With writing for Town Hall, I'm able to focus on a multitude of issues. I don't just limit myself to kind of the portfolio of topics I mentioned, but I can write about like something in world affairs or current events or some policy that I really dislike or a policy that I really, really like. I also focus a lot on what's happening in Virginia, whether it's uh, relating to second amendment rights, conservation. We just passed Sunday hunting in Virginia. So we had one of the last blue laws that was prohibiting people to hunt on Sundays on public land. We had a lot of public land opened for it, but a lot of opportunities were limited because of different interest groups over the years who said, well, you can't hunt here on Sundays because it's too noisy or it's too close to this building. So the last of the blue laws was just lifted. So I'll even write about something as interesting as that or kind of compelling as that, uh, what happens and what affects us here in Virginia. I think it's also fun to focus on that. And I've focused a lot on the election of our new governor, who's a really interesting character. And I think he's really going to put Virginia back on the on the right track in my personal opinion. So I, I focus on, you know, what happens and what interests me locally, nationally, things that are undercovered or underdeserved and don't get the right coverage and really shine a light on something very important that does warrant a lot more attention and coverage. So it, it varies. Like I said, I've been assigned topics. I've been able to choose what I want to write and it's good to have both. I think it prepares you to work with different editors to know the different expectations of different publications and really kind of grow from that and become even better as a writer. Cause I'm always improving my writing. Mm-hmm. I may write often and sometimes I, I fall into a dry spell or I'm like stuck on different things, but having people kind of critique your writing and, and guide you and other places, giving you more free reign and trusting your writing skills. It's good to have both and it. It keeps you humble and it makes you even sharper, I think with your writing ability. So I like having both opportunities, whether I'm assigned topics or being in control of the subject matter that I focus on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then you also have a podcast. Tell me about that. Which I'm going to have to have you come on too, to share your story because you have a really fascinating backstory and I want my listeners to know about it too. But 
it largely goes off of the themes we've established here on the podcast. I call it the District of Conservation podcast. It's been going on for about four years. September will be four years. And I cover underreported subjects and kind of difficult topics in public policy as it relates to conservation, hunting, fishing, firearms, shooting sports writ large, and kind of more difficult subjects. There are some controversial topics and moves that some people in the outdoor industry are not on board with, Mm -hmm. others are. And I like to break down complex issues that may be perceived as controversial or very dangerous. But then when I break it down, I tell people, maybe this is a fact you're misrepresenting or misconstruing, or maybe this is a perspective you're not really listening to. So we cover the gamut of land rights issues, private property rights, energy policy, environmentalism. And I also have people to make it kind of more varied and not always so hung up on politics. I have people who sometimes don't agree with me on politics. We come and we talk about different stories, their time in the field, why they like shooting sports. And so I've had people who disagree with me come on and I try to make it more interesting where I'm like, I need to deviate from politics on this episode. Let's bring someone interesting on and let's share their story and let them tell it in their own way and not have me interrupt or not have me debate them. I like to have people just free flow, Mm -hmm. share kind of their perspective. And even with people who agree with me, I sometimes differ on certain policy issues with them. So it's always good when you bring on guests to share and not so much kind of affirm your opinion, but you can even have people challenge your thinking too. Absolutely. So you can better deliver your kind of opinions. But when I'm bringing on guests, I'm not really debating them. I don't want to have like a sparring match with people. Like if they have something different and unique, they want to share by all means. I say, yes, you tell your perspective. I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong. I want you to share what you're up to and where we have commonality that works great where we don't, it's okay. Because that's what the United States is. We allow for everyone to have differing opinions, differing motivations, things of that sort. But I'll have lots of people on. If someone I know who differs from me is just caustic and hostile, I will not reach out to them because I know it's not going to be a fair debate or a fair conversation because they're going to just look to own you or look to distort your opinions. So I think you can selectively choose, let's say political opponents or individuals who don't know how to have a candid conversation or a good, well-formatted conversation. You can say like, eh, let's not do that. We don't want to be Jerry Springer or something of that nature. So you can, I think you can control the kind of content and I've been able to control it. I've been able to explain policies, obviously offer my opinion where it's appropriate and then explain what the other side is saying or why people are reasoning this. Like, why do they want to ban certain things or why do they want to have this policy and say, well, this is their rationale. It's wrong. And here's what actually should be done. Or this is a good policy. Here's why. And it's fair. The conclusions may be my biases in politics, but I'm able to say, like, I understand where our opponents are coming from in, let's say, anti-hunting perspectives or anti-gun perspectives. I don't agree with it. And here's why they're wrong. And I think we don't hear that because a lot of the times it's often conventional wisdom. It's accepted that you have to be anti-gun or you have to be anti-hunting or you can't support certain forms of hunting or certain forms of guns. And I'm like, that shouldn't be readily acceptable. You have to explain why a universal background check is very duplicitous and has no impact on reducing crime or why a suppressor is actually not as dangerous and not really used in crime as often reported or different caveats and different facts like that. So I try to insert that into conversation or into monologue episodes that I do explaining policy. 
and it's taken off. You know, it's, it's not the biggest podcast, but it's not the smallest. And we have a lot of really influential people who tune in. I've heard from different members of Congress who've said, we really love your podcast and we share it with our friends. I'm like, wow, that's a huge honor. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I've had some very notable guests on and they've been able to push the podcast out to their followers. And that's been a blast. And I like bringing on even people who are not really well known, who I think could have a potential to become a newsmaker down the road. So I like to bring on friends. I like to bring on people I meet along the road, people who I think are really fascinating. And like I said, who have different life experience, maybe even some different opinions. And we just talk about why the outdoors is great when we're not talking about politics. So it's kind of a all encompassing thing. It's not, like I said, really tied down to one goal. It has multiple goals and I want it to be even a space, I think, even for women in the outdoors to come talk to me and they don't even have to share my perspective even. But I think a lot of people feel intimidated to do podcasting, women especially. I don't know why there's a hesitation mm -hmm. because they see that there's a lot of men and a lot of guys have great gun podcasts. They have a lot of great conservation podcasts. So I think women feel like, is there really a space for me? We're starting to see that start to be challenged, which is great. And I was one of the earliest I would say female conservation oriented podcasters out there. And I started to see more women. I can't claim credit for women going into podcasting in this space, but I think people started to see like more people like me are going into it that they could do it too. Mm -hmm. So if you can podcast and inspire others to podcast as well, and I know you've podcasted for a while as well. I think when more women start to see us in this position, creating content, bringing on big guests and talking about interesting subjects, other people say that they can do this too, and they can be inspired to do that as well. So I even bring on like my girlfriends onto the show to talk about like what their favorite type of fly fishing is or what their favorite gun is or something of that nature where they may not feel comfortable, even if someone, let's say, agrees with them politically, but they can have a more, I would say, open forum here on my podcast to talk about it too. So I think um, even trying to elevate women's perspectives is something I try to do, even in the midst of the politics and the guests that we bring on. So I think it's important to elevate women in a very reasonable manner. I think women who should be heard and listened to and who are really impacting their surroundings. I have a lot of very, very powerful friends who, in women especially, who run their own charter businesses, they run their own gun companies or, or apparel line or something of that nature, and they deserve to be talked about. And to have a space to share their perspective. So I, I really like people learning about fascinating characters and individuals. So that's kind of the purpose it serves with educating people about what's happening in Washington and surrounding states, elevating newsmakers and future newsmakers, and then just kind of differing from your typical hunting or fishing or shooting sports podcast. Absolutely. I love it. And where can people find your podcast at? It's on every platform imaginable, <laughs> but we mostly... I usually defer people to go to Apple because Apple is largely where most listeners come from. I think for most people, that's mm -hmm. usually the case. Like Apple's probably one of the best traffickers of listenership, but I've had people, I think even listen directly and I, some other platforms are starting to break in more listeners, but it's kind of hard aside from Apple. Apple yeah. still very much dominates Spotify starting to compete, but it's a, still a small fraction of my listenership, yeah. but maybe one day that'll change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You do so many things. Obviously, it's hard to cover them all. But are there any things that you are doing right now that I miss that you want to touch upon? Let's think about that. Yeah, there's goodness. I'm trying to think what else. So on social media, 
or something that I like to do. I kind of alluded to it in my YouTube endeavors, but I host kind of like a free form series that I call angling, right? And I'm supposed to fish in West Virginia next door during the gold rush, which is happening right now. And I'm hoping to put out another angling, right? Episode as I like to call it. It's kind of a play on my politics, but also a play on my love of fishing, but there's really not much of politics, but it just sounds very catchy. So I call it angling, right? Cause you know, I'm right-minded and I'm talking about fishing. <laughs> so it's kind of a subliminal message, but it's just fishing. And I kind of dispense tactics and tips and share kind of cool places I go to in the area where I'm going fishing, but I'm should hopefully get to go and catalog my experiences fishing in West Virginia. And I scouted out some places, these really beautiful creeks that are not pressured very much. Mm -hmm. So I think people can look out for that. I want to defer people to YouTube because I think that's a place where I can just explore things even more broadly than what I've talked about here. But YouTube, I think, is a great vehicle for storytelling even today. And I know it's not a perfect platform. There are some issues with it. I wish they didn't have those strident gun policies, mm -hmm. even when you're just talking about products that don't really entail firearms, but they're adjacent. So they're like, yeah, you can't monetize this because it's considered a gun sale. I'm like, uh, I'm just doing a review. And like, I had this review of a Bushnell scope. It continues to go viral. Like I've had gosh, so many residual views after the fact, but I can't monetize it. I'm like, I could have made so much money from this, right. but I can't because like of their policies and maybe one day they'll reconsider, but time will tell with that. But I think I want your listeners to connect with me on YouTube if they're interested and kind of see what I'm doing with fishing. And I'm going to hopefully put out some more fishing videos. I have some friends who are like, we need to go fish here in the Chesapeake Bay a bit more. We need to do cobia. We need to do red drum. We need to fish for trout on the fly. And I'm going to try to even showcase like how simple it is to fish and what you need to do and how to buy a license. And so kind of make it more fun and, and interesting. And then I try to do some travel vlogs. So I'm going to be going to Utah very soon and I'm going to be covering national monuments. It's a very controversial subject. And I have my questions about how the politicization of it is really kind of diluting their purpose and how they're kind of restricting people from hunting and fishing there. But I'm going to be doing on the side kind of a vlog of the different places we're going to go to that we're visiting. So I'm going to several national parks, several national monuments, and then some really cool places, maybe to do some stargazing, to kind of do some sightseeing, maybe see some wildlife. So we're going to catalog my videographer and I on my GoPro like some of the places we're stopping by. And so I like to do that kind of as a behind the scenes look behind some of my kind of work trips that I go on and make it fun and lighthearted. Yeah. Wow. I love it. For those who want to follow everything that you're doing, do you have a website or what is your social media and all that good stuff? Yes. I have a website where you can find just about anything. It's gabriellahoffman.com. I'm also on social media. It's very easy to find me because I have blue check marks denoted on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Very easy to find me there. YouTube, I think it's youtube.com slash C slash Gabriella Hoffman. Very easy to find me there. I have like, I have my picture with my hat that I put on social media <laughs> and it has uh, my interview with Governor Christy Nome kind of highlighted. So you'll be able to find me there, see some of my interviews I do with people in politics in this space, in the hunting, fishing, shooting sports space. And like I said, my more lighthearted content, whether I'm doing product reviews or kind of giving a behind the scenes look of my work travels. Okay, great. Moving forward with the rest of the show, Gabrielle, I know you're really busy. I'm going to have Jon Snow join me and he is here with us now. John, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. All right. So before we get into it, talk about Caldwell shooting. 
Something pretty cool I just found from Caldwell is a Picatinny rail mount for your phone. It works just about on any smartphone so that you can use the camera or the screen. If you're shooting long range, it's perfect so that you have a ballistic app up on the screen. The mount's made of aluminum and fits on any standard pick rail. It's got a thumb screw to adjust the angle of the camera and it's built to handle recoil of larger calibers. They've got a smaller mount for GoPros as well. Both of those are only $39.99. So definitely check that out. And if you guys want to get 10% off, which why wouldn't you use the code gunfunny10 and that's going to get you 10% off your entire order at caldwellshooting.com. Today in politics. Politics. What is going on in the world? Today, it's political AF. ATF takes down JA Industries for every town. John, I think I'm going to have you take this over since you do such a great job with all of the political aspect. So can you just kind of sum up what's going on here? Yeah, so JA Industries is a company that they've been around for years. They've changed names, I think, four times. They used to be Jimenez Arms. They used to be Jennings Firearms. They were also Brico Arms at one point. It's kind of a very interesting and weird company history. Uh, bankruptcy a few times, selling a few times. There was kind of a few between a couple of the owners at one point. And I'm also anyway, going to go out on a limb and say that it probably wasn't great guns because the Jimenez gun, I just remember that being crap. Exactly. But I guess they that's neither are, here nor there. That's not that important. Well, it's actually very much a part of... For what happened of what's going on here. So they made very cheap firearms, you know, hundred to two hundred dollar price range. Uh-huh. Basically, they made guns that anyone could afford. And the gun grabbers don't like that. They don't want a normal person, you know, struggling to make ends meet to be able to afford a firearm. They say, Oh, that is only so- this is the gun of criminals. Basically, they're trying to say if you're struggling financially, you are most likely to commit a crime. Yeah. And because of that, it comes down to gun control, everything that they've done about it, like the NFA, you know, the $200 tax stamp. Mm -hmm. It's always been prejudiced against people who don't have as much money because they consider them to be under them. Mm -hmm. And it's a very disgusting part of how gun control people operate. But anyway getting back into what happened here. So JA Industries is the latest name of the company. They had filed for bankruptcy and started the new company. The owner, Mr. Jimenez, when he started the new company, he applied for his FFL, ATF granted it. Every town joined Kansas City and sued the ATF to get them to revoke his firearms license because they said it shouldn't have been granted to him because he was responsible for creating a public nuisance and illegal gun trafficking. Hmm. Well, simple fact is, I mean, he's an FFL. just like everybody else, you know, manufacturing FFL. He has books that they've been audited. He did have a couple of times, I think in 2012 and 2017, he did have citations for serious record-keeping violations, but they were not serious enough that they revoked his FFL. They held what they call warning conferences, mm-hmm. and you know he went on his business, and they were fine with that. So if they really were that serious, something more serious should have been done at that time. 
the claim that they make is because his guns are so cheap, they always end up in the hands of criminals. But they've made you know thousands and thousands. So of then, years, the vast majority. Why isn't not, why isn't High Point getting this thing? Exactly. So, <gasps> I mean, again, that's again neither here nor there, but. The reason yeah. is the reason is Jimenez JA Industries was an easy target. Yeah. Because there was a case of a man in Kansas City who was convicted of straw purchasing. And he had been purchasing from Jimenez, mm -hmm. having them shipped to his local FFL. And this guy was passing the background checks, you know, just fine at his local FFL. But he was then turning around and selling them to other people who were Interesting. Okay. prohibited persons. He was convicted of that because of that connection to that. It made Jimenez an easy target. Mm -hmm. So, Which really, in hindsight, has nothing to do with Jimenez. It's more the gun store. Exactly. It's yeah. the gun store's responsibility, not yeah. Jimenez. Like, hey, red flag, maybe, you know, this guy shouldn't be buying 20 of these guns. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, I think he was doing a lot of them in 10 at a time or something. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they, it, that should be on the gun store, not them. But yeah. at the same time, the and combination of the cheap firearms, the connection to the guy who had been convicted made him an easy target for them to go after and sue the ATF and say, Hey, you need to revoke this guy's license. He is causing crime. Well, ATF voluntarily revoked his license. And this is directly part of the new push from the Biden administration to crack down on rogue dealers. Mm -hmm. He was complying with what they were putting in front of him. If he had actually been a rogue dealer, as they try to make it out, there would have been much more things and he would have been arrested long ago. Yeah. It's just that they're trying to go after gun dealers and, and mm -hmm. one like this. So what is human is, so is human is doing anything about this or is it unknown at this point? It's unknown at this point, but okay. they can't appeal the revocation. Uh -huh. They haven't announced yet, but it's extremely rare for a revocation to be reversed on an appeal. So especially with the push to eliminate rogue dealers, I yeah. find it highly unlikely they'll even consider it. This is an example that they want to make. And I know we're going to see more of these, yeah. especially if they really want to go after somebody bigger or mm -hmm. something like yeah. this. So I hint, guarantee hint, we'll high see point. more cases like this. Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, okay. So granted, okay, guns were crappy in a way. Maybe they did us all a favor. But that is definitely, you know, it's a tactic that is being used to infringe like gun control where it's not justified. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in anything like this, if they can find any kind of a connection like this where, I mean, this clearly was not the fault of Jimenez, yeah. the guy that was reselling the straw purchaser. Mm -hmm. But if they can find any kind of connection like that on somebody bigger, I guarantee you we're going to see similar cases going forward. Cause mm -hmm. if they can get enough, which is just stupid because it has revoked, nothing to do with the manufacturer. Exactly. I get it. All right. What do you recommend people do? I mean, is this something that can, uh, I mean, if you're an FFL, make sure you do everything above board, yeah. obviously. And just don't, and make sure like with straw purchase, like if somebody's buying like even 10 Glocks, like, hello, that should be a red flag. Yeah. All right. Moving forward. Manicore Arms. If you've got an IWI Masada, definitely check out the Masada Stainless Guide Rod. 
It's something that I actually just put in my Masada. So it's a drop-in replacement for the OEM plastic guide rod. And it has an 18-pound flat spring designed specifically to reduce felt recoil and muzzle flip. Super easy to install. It's only $26.95. It definitely makes a difference. I can attest to that. And you can get yours at manicorearms.com. But remember, use the code AVAROCKS15, all one word, and you're going to get 15% off. And that is manicorearms.com. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's Q&A is, have you decided on a suppressor for your Uzi? That's actually a really good question because I did comment on Rugged Suppressors recently on their Instagram and they had, there was a suppressor on the Uzi and I was like, wait, I need one of those for mine. I did talk to Dead Air. It's interesting because Dead Air, I don't know, I must not be worthy of them like hooking me up and doing cross promotions with them because what they want to charge me was like a little ridiculous. I did reach out to Silencer Co. I think I'm going to maybe work with them and put some of their cans on my guns, but I definitely want to branch off and get more into suppressors. So far, I mean, I don't have a ton of suppressors and I definitely, I do think that some are made better than others. So I haven't decided yet which one's going to go on the Uzi, but I'm hoping that whichever ones I pick, I can kind of, you know, sort of put on one gun or another with, you know, different adapters. Stay tuned for that. The Omega 9K would look really good on that. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. I think I'm getting the Omega 45K just because it'll be a little more flexible. Yeah. Also a good can. Yeah. and with a 45 can on a nine mil, you really cannot by your ear tell the difference. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, yeah, there's cans that you could buy that would probably work a little bit better. But then when you're thinking about like the cost and then the cost for the tax stamp and stuff, you really want to pick a can that's going to be pretty versatile. And in exactly. my case, that's sort of what I'm doing. I, I was looking at the Omega 45K. I did look at the 9K. But I'm thinking I might go with the 45K just because of its versatility. Stay tuned for that. We'll see once I, you know, once everything is a go. But so far, that's what I'm leaning towards. Yeah, I would have gotten the 45K if it had been out when I got my 9K. Yeah, true. Today in Tacti Talk. Tacti Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Maxim introduces their first 22. Maxim Defense, which is really known for like their ARs, especially their compact PDW, which every time I see that gun, it looks awesome. Um, but they've jumped onto the 22 LR market. So their 22 pistol is based on the Ruger Mark IV, which is well known for its high accuracy and very popular for rimfire competitions. I personally don't love that gun or any of the guns that it's not even just Ruger, it's just any of the guns that are, I get longer barrel it's going to be more you know accurate and stuff but i don't really like the way that it looks but the cool thing about this one is that mark 4 sd it has an integrated suppressor that is supposed to be like the quietest purpose-built suppressor in its category with the easiest maintainability the integrated suppressor is the same diameter as the rest of the barrel and features a mono core design and integrated carbon cutters for cleaning They say it has no first round pop and it's super quiet. 
measured from the ear, it measures 114 decibels with subsonics, and even with mini mags, it's still only 123 decibels. It's designed to not increase cyclic rate and gas blowback like most suppressors. It's also fully user serviceable and it's composed of only three parts. You can order it with no optic for $1,595 or with the loophole Delta Point Pro, which is actually weird. I haven't really heard too much about that, that red dot ever since it came out for $2,195. Maxim also released two standalone suppressors, the DRF-22, and it's pretty close to like the same specs as the Mark IV SD in a standalone can for $439. And the DSX-D, which is for $1,295. The DSX-D also has a monocore design to reduce blowback and prevent an increase in cyclic rate so the rifle integrals don't get beat up on a semi-auto. Even used on a short like 10.3 inch 5.56, they still reduce the report to a hearing safe of 134 decibels, which is pretty awesome. Personally, I haven't gotten my hands on any of the Maxim Defense products out there. I would love to. This gun sounds pretty interesting. If anything, I like the innovation behind it. But yeah, I would say if you guys are looking for something like this, uh, Maxim Defense might be, you know, sort of like your one-stop shop. Yeah, I haven't owned any of them, but every time I've played with them a little bit, I've been pretty impressed with what they've had. Mm -hmm. I like, so this is like kind of off topic, but I like the different colors that they use. It sort of reminds me of like Q's you know, like the honey badger or really any of his guns that he's come out and how it just doesn't match. Yeah. Very similar. I mean, even their PDW is actually quite similar to the, to the honey badger. Honey badger. Yeah. I know there was a little bit of like a riff rap. Yeah. Of that. A little yeah. bit of a feud. Going <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On. Yeah. But I do like, I mean, it's a sexy looking gun, but it's weird. I have not shot one. It's one of the few guns I've not shot. All right. Moving forward. GSM outdoors. you're like me going to the range is kind of a pain packing everything up and trust me i just spent the last two days going to the range and man it, there's so much stuff so i end up with like so many gun bags and then not to mention your camera equipment people don't realize like for people who are making like youtube videos or just you know social media content just the camera equipment alone just takes up tons of space but gps bags have really come in handy and it definitely helps reduce a lot of the extra gun bags. So they have tons of really efficient bags to carry multiple guns, spare mags, ammo, other gear. They've got backpacks that easily they could hold like five pistols plus mags, ear pro, all that rifle cases that hold two or more rifles, which I'm all about that. Like I have a few single rifle bags, but for the most part, all the ones that I buy have to at least hold two or more. It weighs the same and it's like, why not? And then they also have covert cases too. And then they also have covert cases check them out. It's at gooutdoorsproducts.com. Remember to use the code. This is on any of the GSM Outdoor brands, Walkers, Birchwood, Casey, Cold Steel, Tech Mac, True Glow. If you use the code GUNFUNNY20, that's all one word, you're going to get 20% off. Today's AF segment. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. Tyson can't sell in Colorado. 
Remember when Mike Tyson bit the ear off of Evander Holyfield in the WBA Heavyweight Championship in 1997? Damn, 1997. I was like, this is forever ago before I even read 1997. Well, he's now selling cannabis edibles shaped like ears with a bite out of them. His company, Tyson 2.0, is selling the Mike Bites at dispensaries in Massachusetts, California, and Nevada. Colorado won't let him sell, though. Colorado state law prohibits edibles from being shaped like humans, animals, fruit, or other images that could attract children. That is so weird. So then why do they have candy? They legit have like gummy bears that would attract children way, way before human ears. Way before a human-shaped ear. (laughs) Yeah. So why would that even look appealing to children in the first place? Tyson still plans to sell them in Colorado, but will have to change the shape to a T before they can be sold in the state. Tyson has been in the pot business since 2016 and reportedly makes more than $653,000 a month from it. Damn, I am in the wrong business. The announcement of Mike Bites included some pretty corny dad jokes, including holy ears and they're ear-resistible. What Evander Holyfield thinks of the edibles inspired by his ear remains to be seen. He's also not getting a piece of the profits, which definitely seems kind of unfair given it's like his ear. You know, it's a replica of his ear and it was his ear that got bitten and the whole reason, I guess, for it. Yeah. I could almost say like a lawsuit coming, especially if he makes that much a month. That is insane. Exactly. It's not copyright infringement, but I mean, everybody knows where that ear came right? from. <laughs> Man, just crazy. I don't know. The only thing, I just, I don't trust edibles. Any of that, there's obviously like quite a few. I mean, Colorado is like the first state to make pot legal. And I've heard from a few friends that are like in the pot industry that like edibles, like even though it says like five or 40 milligrams or whatever, like it's really hard to measure that kind of stuff. And like some are more potent than others. But I don't care if like people smoke weed, like, hey, live your life as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. I personally don't partake in it, but I just can't stand it. I don't know. And I hate the smell of it. Oh, I hate going to places and it's like you walk through like some cloud of like pot smoke that somebody just, you know, took a puff of and oh, I hate the smell. But yeah, that was a little off topic, but that's just my thoughts on it. It drives me crazy. We have it out here in Washington now too. And I'll be out running and you just like run, run through people, a, and and it's yeah it's, yeah oh my gosh yeah it just smells like a skunk it smells so gross yeah all right wrapping up itunes reviews this person's undefeated because they are the only ones who wrote a review so 22 cheapster always fresh well hosted and produced five stars listen to ava for years i look forward to monday morning when a new episode drops weekly ava questions her guests and leads her interviews in a way that lets her guests be themselves and share their reality comfortably every episode is a peek behind the curtain of the firearms industry this is one of the several podcasts i listen to that never gets redundant or stale peaches is young has some big tactical shoes to fill but fill them she will in her own tactical peaches sort of way uh which yeah i mean everyone always thinks like oh you know if you get another dog it's going to be like your other dog and it's going to feel like you're replacing her man i wish peaches was replacing tickles because peaches has some big freaking shoes to fill i'm like you are nothing like tickles why can't you just be like tickles but she's a puppy and i have to remind myself like every five seconds of every day <laughs> that she's just a puppy and to go easy on her <laughs> but yeah 
All right. Well, 22 Cheapster, you are the winner. So contact me and I will send you out something cool. Maybe I'll send you out peaches. <laughs> That's what you win. <laughs> All right, it's time to wrap up. So guys, you can find me at gunfunny.com. We actually just got two new Patreons, two new $25 Patreons. And what a Patreon is, is it means you enjoy the show, you support the show, and you get access to our Facebook group, which is pretty funny. I definitely have no filter in that group. I tell you guys, I mean, I, like today, well, yesterday, I went to the range and somebody told me to get out of their way. Well, no, somebody was like, excuse me, like really loud. And I was just like, uh, and I moved. And then as he was passing me, he's like, get the hell out of my way. And I was just like, what did he just say that? And I like kind of lost my shit and then tapped on the glass and he looked up and I gave him the finger cause he was on the range. But yeah. Those are stories that I share with my patrons that I typically don't share in a public realm because well, people might think I'm crazy or have a bad temper or whatever, but in the Patreon group, we can share whatever we want and it's like a safe space and nobody judges and it's great. I would highly recommend becoming a patron and you're supporting a good cause, which is the show. Also blown deadline gives away a $300 gift certificate every month to a lucky Patreon. So you can get some like awesome Cerakote job, one of a kind. He does an amazing job. Also wanted to thank the $25 Patreons. Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Sake Holsters, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Sportsman's Guide, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Callamore, Daniel Lee, Nick Theodosian. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. If I'm not, just let me know. And Melissa Writings and King of the Patreon. Still Jon Snow. What up? All right. And also wanted to do a shout out. Gabriella Hoffman. Awesome interview. Keep up the great work. And guys, on that note, I will see you next week. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.